Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now we begin our post-show coverage of the 2023 NOCO Hemp Expo, which really went well with a lot of fanfare this past weekend of the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So we're going to have a few more interviews here on Grassroots Marketing that's going to feature <clears throat> some of the featured people that were at the show. We're going to continue to speak with people that have been featured at the, pro, at the event and get more of the take now from the back end of how everybody felt and how the show went so far. So let's go ahead and talk about this right now with a featured guest who was a featured speaker at the event. He comes from the wonderful area of Warren County, North Carolina, where he consults, education, supports, outreach, and education programs for diversity and agriculture. Uh, he is the owner of Brown Family Farms, the makers of Hempfinity. I'm here with Patrick Brown. Patrick, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having me on the show today. And I can never give enough credence or justice about a great story, which I, I mean, I believe, I don't even know how this is not in a book yet because the story is really wonderful. So 1865, the farms are open and it's uh, Byron Brown that opens it. Six siblings. Mother was born in slavery owned by Byron's father, Jacob, the civil war, the other children left the plantation growing timber and raised livestock until his death in 1931. And then his son Grover continuing the farm, establishing a peach orchard, cultivating grain. And then his son, Reverend Arthur Brown takes over 1968 as vegetable crops and tobacco until his retirement in 2003. So you are a fourth generation farmer. Now you're Arthur's son and you were a agricultural advisor in Afghanistan until 2011. And then the 2014 hemp bill comes into play. You started growing hemp, hemp extracts, hemp products in 2018. And you started a CSA program starting with 12 acres of vegetable production. So amazing. There's a whole lot there, but I, I, so much to unpack. But honestly, at, at this point, talk to me about how hemp has become like the, the real crop for the farms there and you know how important it has been. So your famous legacy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was born into tobacco in 82 to uh, 1998. That was our cash crop for my father, Reverend Dr. A. Brown. That was what fed us. That's what clothed us. Uh, that was basically what we had as the value added crop for our farm. Uh, and what industrial hemp did for us uh, when we stopped cultivating tobacco it gave us another alternative potential cash crop 
but more of focusing on what it can actually add value to the soil of our property. Tobacco take took away so much soil fertility and microorganisms and neutrality for uh, for the plant life, for the vegetative life. And uh, what I looked at focusing and studying on industrial hemp was putting that back into the ground and how going forward we will potentially use less and less uh, synthetic fertilization. Uh, so that is also uh, one of the values that industrial hemp has brought to our farm. So if I just did a Google search on diversity in agriculture, there are lots of organizations, there are a lot of plights to try to create that level. But I mean, I guess for myself, or for those that might not be aware, what can you tell me about the state of diversity in agriculture and what you're doing in North Carolina from a, a regional or a state component? to get the word out and to help educate? Yeah, so um, a part of my mission as a fourth generation farmer is to give back to the community in a way of creating a avenue for future farmers. Uh, what I've saw over the last 15 years was the decline in minor minority inclusion of agriculture uh, as well as land that is being sold and not being utilized by the families that actually own it, but are more so being leased uh, to larger farmers where they're adding those acres to their already existing farm portfolio. So what our farm mission is also is to empower, motivate the young generation of future farmers. So what we allow are farm demonstrations. We have started a foundation um, after my late father, Reverend Dr. A. Brown, to uh, host a space that's safe to young men and uh, young boys and girls each and every weekend where they can come to our farm, learn how to grow, uh, become self-sustainable uh, in the food system to overcome some of the food insecurities that are being faced in rural communities. Uh, so we get that opportunity to the younger generation to motivate, teach them how to drive tractors, um, create a way that we can uh, provide course credits for agriculturalists that are studying agronomy in universities. We have uh, been able to partner with some non-profit uh, foundations, which uh, in the past have allowed students to come to our farm that are already in curriculums and universities to obtain course credits to actually work on the farm and actually be hands-on um, outside of the classroom setting. So those are just some of the opportunities that we're trying to focus on, developing the young-minded, willed, young generation of future farms. <laughs> From a federal government level, the USDA has had, a, 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 they've had a agricultural census or, or ag census. The last one was done 2017. And they mentioned how when you look at just the representation so far nationwide, as of this 2017 report, uh, 1.3% of nearly 4 million producers were black. But the other thing too, I got to ask about is that while you are trying to go ahead and foster this diversity by having new farmers of, you know, whether uh, that are BIPOC, let's just put it like that. But the thing is too, is that there's a difference where with your farm, you're a fourth generation farmer. With a farm that has, what, over 150 years of legacy, and you've grown various crops, you do various crops besides hemp as well. But the thing is, is that it's 
where it's a family family run business, family owned, family operated, and you've only had people from your family that have continued that. What is it do you think can be done from a level where you know if somebody wants to go ahead and start their own agricultural business, but do not have the legacy or that generational tie-in to go ahead and make that happen? Yeah, well, it's important to what I've noticed is the people that don't have land um, that are interested in farming, they don't even have a place to go see if that's something that they want to do or to learn about the administrative side of the business of agriculture and how to uh, uh, qualify for programs that the USDA may offer for them to even be able to farm. So a part of that advocacy and um uh, philanthropy of trying to create an avenue for those young uh, generation of kids or the next generation and generation after kids is to even have the opportunity to have a farm to go to and learn. And that's one of the things that I focus on one county at a time. Right now, I focus on my county, uh, which is Warren County, North Carolina. We have uh, 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 surrounding counties within a 10 to 15 to 20 mile radius around us. But if I could just do my part and just focus on my county, and then eventually other counties will follow suit where other traditional farms that have been in operation that may have the time to foster that education or that need to try to find the next generation of farmers. Because what we also are already seeing is even the large non-minority farms, the kids and the grandkids are now not even wanting to deal with farming. And they're getting out because of some of the thresholds that the government subsidy program is not allotting to uh, uh, farmers of previous generations as they were in the future farmers. So it's a it's a long line of uh, opportunity to, to learn. Right now, a lot of these programs are focusing on climate change um, and is giving opportunities of new crop production, what we call specialty crops. That gives us an opportunity to venture out in somewhat non-traditional production. And in those non-traditional production crops, you now have an opportunity to create a value-added product, which gives you the niche where the farmer can capitalize off of that product instead of profit sharing amongst the government subsidy and not getting the worth for what they actually grew. So that is one of the things that are so is so important about industrial hemp. I now as a farmer control the market. Right. Where in the past, subsidy crop programs like corn or soybean or wheat were all traded future stock programs uh-huh. for forward trade under the NAFTA trade agreement. But without a farmer in the industrial hemp space, we can determine the cost per acre that we are able to receive from growing that crop and also control the benefit of what it does to the land. Right. And then we are able to teach this information. We're able to consult on this information and we're able to pass it down to future generations. And then the overall benefit of this is creating your own carbon credits that you have a database, a baseline of what you have done while growing this crop that allows us to actually obtain more profit sharing in the niche market that we create. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. So this is a question I always get. I come from a small town, so where you know, and where I lived, uh, growing up in my hometown, Belgrave, Florida, they grew rice, a lot of sugar, right, a lot of vegetables, and one of the things we had to deal with a lot with. You know, and, and my father worked in the sugar mills 40 years, you know, worked behind the instruments so he can go ahead and process and, and refine it. So with global competition, consolidation, geographic concentration of ag production, you know, there's been the use of low wage migrant labor. And for those migrants that were able to go and work, they might have found their way to also go ahead and build farms of their own. And that's the part where, you know, I feel like in the agricultural sector overall in the States, it's the migrants that are taking advantage of that entrepreneurship to go ahead and come in as, you know, as a worker in the space and then finding their way to even get their own business. Do you feel like there's something where with the fact that the U.S., 50,000 farms hire more than 90 percent of all farm workers and 70 percent born outside the United States? That's an issue. But is it something about that the workers in the United States they always say they don't want to do those jobs. They don't want to go ahead and do that hard labor. What you get up and do every day. What do you say to those people that make that argument? Well, uh, <clears throat> I would say it, we we give so much gratitude and uh, appreciation to the H two A programs that foster uh, work migration, uh, <laughs> immigrant work migration programs in the United States. Because without those uh, those workers, our food system and other crop production would be in jeopardy. Uh, and the government has done a great job to increase the wages to uh, make that uh, program more appealing to uh, continue programs to foster that worker from coming over to the United States to actually do those jobs. Because we do not have an influx of people that are willing to do it, that are U.S. citizens. And I think it's more so because they we're looking at the short end of the stick. We're not looking at the ag- education piece of the trade. See, the migrant workers, they come in with already a skill set uh-huh. of working hard in the state of agriculture. They already have the abilities of understanding how plant science works and how it grows because it's just like me. We're born into it. Um, however, the getting a person in the United States to want to learn those skills, they feel as though that they should be compensated more than what a migrant worker already with that set of skill has already. And a lot of times it can be uh, more so, I would say they're looking at the wrong side of understanding 
because the government is increasing those wages. But the United States employee needs to learn that you learn this trade to understand the business so that you can actually own it. Um, the migrant worker program are more so focused on providing for their family and creating a way to obtain citizenship. So it's kind of like a difference of what the overall goal is, because once they obtain citizenship, they're going into owning that business. Uh, and and, and it's, it's a process for both sides. And I see the argument within the two. Sure. Um, but I still think that, you know, is a space for everybody to evolve um, and let the wage uh, be determined based on the uh, state that that person is working in um, and meeting that requirement. Um, because, of course, a person is not going to uh, provide the amount of uh, uh, work in agriculture without being properly compensated. But see, I'll tell you what, too, Patrick, is that the, the kind of work you do, I mean, I'm looking just through various things, it's backbreaking. Listen, I I don't have the stones to go into the kind of work you do. You do <laughs> tough work every day. Your family, that's that's not easy, but it's yeah. it's profitable. It's You get a definite sense of pride and a definite sense of you've accomplished a lot, and you have. And I want to go ahead and let people know about what you've been working on over there at Brown Family Farms, specifically Hempfinity, which you have a great number of products that you have available from hand salves to tinctures, the bath bombs, et cetera. Uh, uh, they'll take gummies, CBD capsules, 30 milligrams and up. And I want to go ahead and let you take a minute to go ahead and talk about this. Now, web uh, website for it is hempfinity.us. So hemp, like infinity, us.com. Uh, real quickly, tell me about the product line. Yeah, so when we first uh, were licensed to grow industrial hemp, what I had studied was uh, focusing on the legit longevity of what I saw for the industry in the next 15, 20, 30 years. Um, but that was herd and fiber, textile production and building material production and offset by polymer production to create an offset for plasters and things like that. So what I saw in that scope was a way to change the environment. But being licensed, there was no market for me to be able to grow the textile, non-woven and woven uh, uh, industrial hemp. So we got into CBD uh, because that was a market at the time and still is. Uh, and it was also of a smokable flower market in the state of North Carolina where we were. And it was easy to transition into that particular row crop structure of growing CBD because it was similar to tobacco. So we already had tobacco equipment there. I didn't have this as, as I would have to have invested if I would have sold all of my tobacco equipment. So right. the only thing that I needed at that time was indoor growing space so I could create the, my own genetics of how I grew the CBD plant. So what I did was I had my own mother plants. I cloned them and then I transplanted them into the field in a row crop setting. There I was able to start branding and understanding that if I don't have a broker or a buyer to purchase all of my flour, which was anywhere between 1,500 to 2,000 pounds an acre, mm -hmm. I was able to already be vertically integrated to process my own product, to shelf my own product, and retail my own product. 
So I looked at every scope of the process of trying to gather whatever input I did into this particular crop that year that I was going to make sure that I got my return on my investment. So by being licensed and trademarked through the United States Patent Office and being a certified farm under GGMAP, I think that's a certification if I'm uh -huh. not mistaken, then I was able to press to process my own, package my own, retail my own product. And we started out with the oil. Then we went to the isolate. And then we went to the distillate. We started making our own uh, topicals uh, and consumable products. And we've been um, in that market ever since we started back in 2015. And uh, it's been very well. It's been a hell of a ride. Um, the market is not what it was in North Carolina or I, I was saying other states as it was in 2016 to 2018, right, right. Mm -hmm. but it's more focused now to boutique uh, retail space. And we provide wholesale products to those boutiques uh, with our smokable flour. And then we have a international customer base. We have a uh, domestic customer base with some of our hemp product, hempfinity product lines. And um, we're still growing it and we want to be, uh, more diversified in this space as we possibly can. We are in the woven and non-woven fiber market uh, where we produce about 350 acres of mm -hmm. fiber production uh, for retail space as well as uh, manufacturing for building materials and uh, some of the energy efficient materials to make products. Um, right. But we want to expand even further by uh, potentially owning and creating a process and facility on our farm for woven and non-woven industrial hemp. So there's so much we could have talked about from the work being a con community supported agricultural farm CSA to your work in climate smart specialty crop production. We're out of time, but I'd love to go and continue this conversation again, Patrick. And so one more time, just to go and give the websites Hempfinity is dot uh, com. So it's H E M P F I N I T Y U S dot com. One product I've got to point out hemp viscous tea sounds fascinating because the just <clears throat> various levels of a uh, different blend of hemp leaves, strawberry leaves, chamomile blossoms, lemongrass, buckwheat, lemon balm, calendula, and rose petals as part of this uh, with a sweet and roasty taste from the popped cherry bee strain and that's and I just see that, that that was one of the products that really just stood out to me and i think some people was just people just oh good just take a look at that right there on the website alone and the website for the farm itself is brown family farms csa.com the whole story to donate to the farm learn the history there's so much more to give and i'm getting here with patrick brown owner of brown family farms henderson north carolina and hempfinity thank you so much for being on with us Thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones, who get it done.